As you might imagine, as I study through these scriptures each week and go through them verse by verse, my mind follows an ongoing account of the nature and the teachings of the Lord Jesus. And as I do that, and as with these particular words that are given here in this book of Luke, I can't help but marvel at how truly loving and caring our God really is, showing to us the absolute epitome of how a loving father is to care for his beloved children. And after the stern warnings that he gave to us in the scriptures that we spoke about last week, warnings about fears that we should have and also about fears that we shouldn't have, telling us in clear and simple words, who it is that we should fear, but also who it is that we should not fear, telling us about hell, about all those who will go there, and who it is who will condemn those people to spend their eternity in hell. After he has given us those many warnings, he then turns us today to these words of comforting, loving assurance words of promise and of intimate care. And I especially love the truths that we'll study here today and also over the next few weeks because it's in knowing truths like the ones that we'll learn about today we get to look at one of the most gracious attributes of the holy character of God and that is His divine providence. His divine providence. It's in times and circumstances like those spoken about here, about fears, fears of punishment and of hell, that we're assured that though the world around us truly is lost and it is in such a corrupt condition, that we really do not need to fear. That instead of giving way to the fears that will assail our emotions, we can confidently trust in the divine providence of God for our protection and for our relief. And again, I love those words, those comforting thoughts about His divine providence. I recall that in pondering the divine providence of God that John Newton then wrote those precious words of the hymn that we sing so often, Amazing Grace, Amazing Grace. That hymn, Amazing Grace, gives us an excellent understanding of God's loving and caring providence. Now, unfortunately, those words, divine providence, aren't often spoken about in today's culture. And even more sadly, those words, divine providence, they aren't heard very often in many of our churches today. Preachers seem to prefer to preach instead about all the many self-improvement programs and habits and behaviors that we can develop on our own. But folks, please know, please know that it is not we ourselves who are sovereign over the events of our daily lives. That developing good habits is good, yes, but that will not save our souls. Good habits will not save our souls. It is our God alone who is sovereign and able to do that. And because He's sovereign, He exercises His divine providence over everything that takes place. Everything. Now may I take a moment and remind us what those words divine providence mean to our 
uncertain souls. Divine providence is the manner and the means by which God governs and guides and directs all the matters and the events that take place in this world every day, both in this visible world that we live in, but also in that unseen world, those unseen realms that are taking place all around us and then extending on out to the farthest reaches of the universe. And though His providential power and might are vast and great. His providential power and might remains intimate and caring, and especially towards those of us who are members of His beloved family, you and me, and all those other people who have received Christ as their Savior. It's by His divine providence that God saves us from our sin, and then He conforms us to the blessed image of Christ His Son. Faithfully, guiding us through all those many steps of faith as He works out His purposes in us. And these words of this passage are just one more example of God's divine watch care over us. Listen carefully to these words. They're given in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. These are very simple words, but they are so deep with meaning. Listen to these words. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Those are simple words, but they're profound. And they're deep in their meaning. Folks, in this so very uncertain culture of our day, there are so many questions that will fill the hearts and the minds of our people. And yes, not only those people who don't know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, but even for us, for us who do have the Lord as our Savior, we still are asking some of the most basic of questions, especially in those times of trouble. We're asking, is God really real? Does He really care about what's taking place in this world? We see all of the corruption taking place. We see the wars and rumors of wars Does he really care about what's taking place in this world today? Most of all, though, does he really care about me personally, about my family? Is he as up close and intimate as some people say he is? How can I know that he is? Now, the answers to those and so many other questions like them, they're right here in the pages of our Bible. Words that are given to us in this passage tell us so. Today I want to spend some time opening our hearts and our minds to God's loving and caring and intimate presence. But how do we begin to do that? How do we join with the Holy Spirit and move on forward in our faith? On forward into embracing the reality that God really is, that He's real, that He's really is fully involved in every matter and every activity of our daily life, individually. Folks, it's not enough that we occasionally pause to recognize and to say something like the common expression, that was a God thing. How often have you used that expression? That was a God thing. Let me assure you that everything is a God thing. Everything is a God thing. 
It truly is. Our part, our responsibility in our relationship with the Lord Jesus is to be willing to fully embrace the reality that He is always, at every moment, present and fully involved in even the smallest, most insignificant matter of daily life. Even the number of hairs that you have on your head right at this moment. And it'll change tomorrow. And he'll know how many hairs you have on your head tomorrow. He is that intimate. May I also ask that we take a moment and think one step further into these words that I've just said. These words that I've just used. The words accept and embrace. I believe that there is a much wider gap between the meaning of those two words than we realize. In our salvation, we receive Christ as our Savior. We accept Him as our Savior. But do we embrace Him as our Savior? Do we respond by reaching on forward and genuinely taking hold of the one who has given His life that we might also have life? Do we do that? Or have we instead simply stood motionless and emotionless, accepting His great gift of salvation, but with our hands hanging limply at our side. Perhaps that vision of our emotionless response is part of the reason as to why we have received so very little in our relationship with Christ. With our hands and our arms hanging limply at our side, A person has no means. They have no means to receive all the many great blessings that that loving relationship with Christ affords to us. Do we think for a moment, listen, do we think for a moment that that's the kind of response that Jesus wants to receive from us? Are we not his bride? Are we not his bride? Now consider these words for a moment. And you need to visualize this in your mind. As a bridegroom reaches out and embraces his bride, is it fitting for the bride to simply stand emotionless with her arms hanging limply at her side, having no response to the one who has given everything for her? A dowry that has been paid for in blood, his very life. Does not that price deserve a far more loving response than the half-hearted response that we so often give back to the loving Lord Jesus? There's an often quoted verse in the scriptures that tell us without vision, a people perish. Listen, a bride who does not have the vision for being a bride will surely perish. Perhaps not to the point of completely losing her eternal life, but surely very much like it. And we dare not do that. Folks, we dare not do that. From that first moment of our salvation, that first moment that we become the bride of Christ, we need always to have our arms outstretched, always reaching forward to embrace our bridegroom. How do we get, though, from where we are in this sometimes listless, emotionless, church attendance, and that's about it, relationship with Christ. How do we move from there to a joy-filled happiness of a daily loving relationship with the person of the Lord Jesus? It begins by doing as I've been suggesting this morning, by not only accepting 
by not only accepting, but by fully embracing the vision that Jesus, our bridegroom, really is right here, right now, loving us, embracing us, and providing us with everything that we need. Such an idea should not seem strange to us. We're told about it all through these scriptures. Our minds just don't seem to want to recognize when the Lord Jesus tells us about it. Like in these words here, how many times perhaps have we read these words and let our mind pass right on through them without taking a moment to know what he's telling us? He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. What do those words say to you about the intimate watch care of God when he can know every hair that you have on your head today and then how many that you'll have there tomorrow and then the next day and the next? Folks, that is intimacy. God is right here, right now, just as he's been with us from the beginning. And he has been. You recall there in the very first words of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God. He was there in the beginning. And then the Lord Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. And then he said, when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, the comforter. And he will guide you into all truth. All of these things, all of these things are taking place with us every moment of every day. From that very first moment of our salvation, the Spirit of Christ has been living within each one of us, guiding us, directing us. We might not have known He was doing it, but He's guiding us and He's directing us, comforting us, convicting us of sins, warning us away from certain dangers. He's always present and he's always doing those things, those loving things that a loving bridegroom does. But you and I have to capture this vision for who he is and who we are as his bride. Throughout all time, in every circumstance of life, there's been one constant truth that always holds true and prevails, and that is that God is. He simply is. He is ever and always present. He's ever and always reaching into everything that we do, taking part in everything that we think and say and do. Jesus truly is. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is. He simply is. And again, as I said at the beginning of this message today, not all churches teach this about the Lord Jesus. It seems that so many of our churches today prefer to concentrate their messages more upon the activities of men. And yes, that's good. That's good. And we, men and women, do carry forward God's plan in this earth. But listen, and we have to know this, first of all, the very first understanding that God desires for us to hear and to follow is the one that I've been speaking about here. The understanding that, yes, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But the end of that verse says, For it is God who worketh within us to do according to His good pleasure. 
All the work that we do as we work out our salvation is good and right, but it's all just simply a part of Him working within us to bring about His will in our life. And if we ever really intend to move on forward and to be of any benefit to Christ in our relationship with Him, we're going to need to intentionally reach forward and embrace that He is always present and He is always guiding and directing all of our steps, embracing this bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. There's a verse that we often quote, that man makes his plans, but God directs his steps. All that, folks, is simply an integral part of the embracing of God's intimate presence within us. In many of my own prayers, I'll say words similar to, Lord, I know that you have a plan for this particular matter that's before me at this moment. Won't you show me your plan and your purpose? And then enable me to do it the way you want it done. And then I'll know it'll turn out right. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, some of our favorite verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path. He will direct every step that you and I take if we will allow Him to do it. Too often we don't. Too often we simply go ahead and take those steps and ask the Lord to bless them afterwards. But he's telling us, no, reach to him first. Again, I want to say, God simply but profoundly is. He is. He is always present and he's always working and guiding and directing everything that takes place on this earth, but in particular within our own private lives. And folks, you and I ought to be reaching forward to embrace that whole understanding that He is guiding and directing you and me personally, guiding all the many intimate matters of our daily life. Now, do we always allow Him to do that? Do we always allow Him to have His way in our life? Unfortunately, no. But why? How can that be? I've often thought, how can we mortal men and women, how can we thwart the plans of Almighty God? And folks, I confess I don't know all the answers to that question, but I do know that for some reason, within His own divine providence, He has ordained that it would be more holy for Him to allow you and me the opportunity for free will. For free will. And with our free will, then, we're able to either bless Him or to quench His Spirit. And unfortunately, too often we do quench His Spirit. In the rush of all that takes place in our day, our eyes seem not able to see, and our ears are not able to hear His comforting, guiding words. Too often we're as those ones spoken about in the book of Ezekiel, where the Lord tells us, our Son of Man, He says, you're living amongst a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but they do not see. And they have ears to hear, but they do not hear. For they are a rebellious people. And sadly, sadly, too often, you and I join with them. That's you and me. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Our ways do not discourage Him. I'm so thankful for that, that our, my ways don't discourage him. He's always faithful 
and fully committed to his plans and his purposes, ever and always presenting them to me, to you, giving us yet another opportunity and another and another to join him in doing his perfect will. Folks, if we will only open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, we'll know that God's presence and his providence is intricately intertwined into every part, every fiber of this earthly existence. And he wants you and me to read the pages of this precious book of our Bible and to see his divine providence and how it works and how it, it adorns and it accentuates every promise and every deed. And all of them declare the character and the presence of God. And by his spirit living within us, as we read the pages of this book, we can see his almighty hand at work in all the things that take place in our daily life. Each and every day, each and every day through his incomparable wisdom and knowledge, God is able to know every hair that you have on your head, that I have on my head. I'd like to close with some words from Matthew chapter 6. Just tell us about his loving watch care. Listen to these words and we'll close. This is Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. There he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like even one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall I eat? What shall we drink? What shall we eat? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. And your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father, we do thank you for your divine providence, for your divine watch care over us, your divine strength and guidance to bless us throughout all the things that we'll do each day. We thank you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.